0: Say That podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Lee Younger.
1: Matt, I don't know how many of our listeners are excited about this, but I know you and I are, that we are a scant 46 days away from college football season.
0: That's right. Starting in 47 days, if you need Lee or I on a Saturday afternoon, don't. Yeah, no,
1: we will not be answering.
0: I noticed as my uh, YouTube TV subscription Uh, kicked back on because Google is an evil corporation um, and just kind of restarted that for me after taking the six months off for not football season. They have (laughs) launched the four screen quad box on YouTube TV. Uh, So I am going to watch that until my eyes bleed.
1: (laughs) I just, I can't, I can't wait. I can't wait for all of it. I can't wait for the things I love about it. I can't wait for all the things that I complain about, about it. Things like, uh, one Gary Danielson and Ooh, that's bad. you know, it's, it's so bad. And yet I
0: will tune in. Yep. There's a mute button. We know there's a mute button. I'd rather complain. It's part of the, the rich tapestry of life in the fall. That's right. To be watching a game with two teams that are not Alabama, have not played Alabama are not really factoring into Alabama at any point yet. And hear Gary Daniels talk about Alabama for eight minutes straight. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's exactly right oh, that's my right goodness.
0: suspiciously quiet during this conversation around college football northwestern alumnus jed brewer that's nothing to do with northwestern it's just because Jed's not here this week he's uh
1: yeah it's not that it's not that jed's hiding his head in shame about the recent behaviors of, of folks involved in the northwestern football program but i'm sure that he wouldn't be hiding his head in shame because I'm sure he doesn't care. He does not know who any of those people are. He, that's the way one should feel about the football program at Northwestern right now is stay away. Don't pay attention. Don't care about it.
0: That's right. Jed is uh, attending a music festival in Chicago tonight, which is in many ways the exact opposite of Northwestern athletics. So yeah, um, if right. anything going directly in the arms away, so uh, Jed will join us next time. So just Lee and I here with you, but only having two co-hosts does not mean there's any less emergency to be declared. Oh,
1: Oh no. It's the Christians, man.
0: It is. They're up to stuff. They're constantly up to stuff. We bring you the stuff that they are up to. And this week we have what in the podcast business we call a doozy. Oh, so, uh, the, the audio I'm going to play you here is from a TikTok video featuring one Mark Driscoll. And here's what I'm going to tell you before I play this audio. It being by Mark Driscoll is not the worst thing about it. <laughs> and at this point, y'all that's really saying something. Yeah. You may think, Oh, it's Mark Driscoll. I know it's going to be like weird toxic masculinity or is this me? Wh- crazy white ring thing? Yeah, kind of, but it gets weirder, particularly if you've been listening to this show for a long time. So we take you to this clip now from uh, Mark Driscoll, a man too old to be on TikTok. Putting his own sermon on TikTok. Demons know each other, and if they're working through people, the demons who are friends introduce the people to become friends. And in the days of technology and the internet, evil people find each other, and they form soul ties, and they bond together to do evil and to oppose good. We call this cancel culture. We call this progressivism. We call this the (inaudible) folk mob. That's exactly what it is.
1: It's like, well, how is it so powerful? It's demonic. Well, How is it so organized? It's demonic. How is it so quickly overtaking every area of culture? It's demonic. Well, why does
2: no
0: one see it? Because they call it justice, and that's the deception. So we warned you. That was what that was. Um, so, yeah, ca- demons and the cancel culture and justice. And if you'll notice, because that is uh, somebody like just pulling a, his from at Pastor Mark Driscoll on TikTok. So I think he censored, beeped out the word woke. They talk about yeah. the beep mob and it's, the woke is the word. That
1: was the, the very first thing I noticed when I played the TikTok the first time was, oh, this is what folks. on. Um, on that side of, of things are doing now is we're pretending the word woke is an actual curse word, a bad word, and we're bleeping it out. Ironically.
0: Yeah. That's um, when you love censorship so much, you censor yourself in a way that I think you'd be offended if someone else did that. Like if that's right, if a more liberal person had put up a clip and beeped out woke, they'd be like, well, you can't even say it now. Snowflakes, <laughs> um, but if you are a longtime listener of the Say That podcast, or someone who uh, was forced to read certain books in youth group in the late '90s and early 2000s, yeah, uh, something will have stuck out to you there. Which is not only apparently do people who uh, care about uh, you know racism, sexism, police brutality, social inequality, these kind of things uh, have a demon in them, but the demons talk to each other and form. Soul ties.
2: Soul ties.
0: Soul ties are back and more confusing than ever. (laughs) See,
1: this, this is the thing is we have now been doing this podcast for so long that our own bits have gone out of fashion. After we've made fun of them, the world has changed and now they have actually come back to bite us.
0: Yes. If you, if you've been listening to this podcast since the beginning, wow, you are yeah, a committed individual. Um, at the time there were a lot less podcasts to listen to. So maybe you, you found us just through that, but you will know that early on, we talked a lot about the soul ties because that was a thing from, uh, I believe Josh Harris made it up or at least popularized it in the, uh, book to use the term generously. I kiss dating goodbye. The context of those soul ties was two people who, I can't remember if you had to have sex to have a soul tie or if there's any kind of like, I know you didn't, because wasn't it just like people who weren't over their ex that they dated in middle school? Basically, and then you would, but if you didn't, something, you would have a soul tie to them that would ruin your marriage when you were grown.
1: The soul ties were so communicable. Yeah. It was like the easiest to catch disease in Christendom.
0: Yeah, there were literal stories of like, oh, I made out with my girlfriend in middle school. And then when we when I got married, I realized something was wrong. So I had to go to this woman who I had not talked to in a long time, who probably didn't want me on her porch and renounced my soul tie or some such nonsense. Like this was (laughs) this is a thing that was getting pushed in in promise ring centered youth groups across the country. (laughs) What you're describing is is the only thing
1: I can think of is is. Uh, the character, Michael Scott, uh, screaming, I declare bankruptcy, <laughs> like going to someone's porch and declaring yourself over them.
0: Yeah, the nothing says I'm over you like hunting someone down and showing up on their porch. <laughs> I wonder how many people got tased in the name of soul <laughs> oh. And if I'm remembering this correctly, because none of your intrepid podcast hosts at the time. uh Uh, had dealt with the Josh Harris stuff actually like for ourselves, like we were all a little older than that. And I didn't grow up in the church and it was, so we, we were like, we started the podcast. We had blogs at the time where people would write in questions and people wrote in what I, what is soul ties? And I think, what about soul ties? And it took us a long time to figure out that that was not something they were making up. Right. So we were like adults with ministry jobs who were like, trying to figure out what soul ties were so we could tell people they were fake. That was a weird time for all of us.
1: It's a weird thing too. When you are, like you said, you're in full-time vocational ministry. You've read the Bible from front to back, you know, and you realize like a lot of Christian people are talking about something that is, let me be clear, is not in that book. No, not in any way.
0: So made up. It's like, it's more made up than the stuff they usually make up. (laughs) Like, there's the tangentially related to something that's in the Bible made up. Like, oh, this person has a demon or whatever. Like, well, demons are in the Bible, but this thing you're talking about where it makes you, you know, fall asleep in church, that's not in there. Soul ties, Or they have, like,
1: the the transitive property things where they add a few not-related verses together to create a thing that's not in the Bible. Yeah. But soul ties was on a different level.
0: Yeah, this was, like, beyond numerology crazy. Like, this was just not even you're trying to interpret this in there. Just throwing stuff out there, man.
1: Well, and to take us back to the current story on TikTok, it was nothing more or less than afraid parents who didn't want their kids having sex um, outside of wedlock making something up to make their kids afraid of sexual activity. Yeah. We're going to control behavior. So here's something to be afraid of that doesn't exist.
0: Yeah, we know it's made up. Gosh, Harris knows it's made up, but we think it'll serve this in. So we're putting that in, which that is why it's so weird to see it pop back up in like a, a new context. Like it's like, it's referencing something retro, but that wasn't real. It's like if someone had made up an NFL team just to make a starter jacket out of it in the (laughs) eighties and now like it was coming back, we're like, no, but that, that wasn't a team. They just made right. that up to sell the jacket. We all knew it. They knew it wasn't real. Yeah. But now you're wow. like repurposing it as streetwear in a way that implies it was real. Yeah, it's definitely
1: like a 1984 level funkiness. You know, yeah. this is this is behavior modification, gaslighting, whatever you want to call it. Like this is we don't want you to do a thing, so we're going to do a gigantic scare tactic with fiction. And now and and really to go back to the the recent TikTok, this is the thing we're more afraid of than anything else now. In the in the '90s, it was you know it was it was people playing footsie that might might lead to some making out, which might might lead to some sex. And now, what we're afraid of is caring about the uh, marginalized and the less fortunate. And so we will call anything that parades itself as social justice. Um, we will call that demonic soul ties.
0: Lee, that's such a good point, and it's so interesting because, as much as you know, we don't agree with any of the soul ties nonsense, the purity culture nonsense, or any of that. Like, at if you want to give the people involved in that immense benefit of the doubt, they don't deserve. At the end result of that, there is something that is, I think, we can all say objectively. Not ideal, in that if teenagers engage in certain acts, there can be children, there can be STDs, there can be you know slash tires. There's a number of consequences that do negative consequences that can come from uh, teenagers having have def- sex.
1: Yeah, we can definitely question do do these people have the experiences and the maturity to be able to handle you know what all all the accoutrements that are involved in, in these activities. Well, you know, let's have some conversations, but yes, but carry on.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like if you just take teenage pregnancy, I think we can all say, you no, know, obviously uh, we all have friends who were born to teenage mothers and there's, you know, positive circumstances work out, but in general, not ideal. Right. Um, So we, we make up, well, so that means don't even kiss because that's worse. Okay. Purity pledge, pure prom promise, <laughs> us, soul ties, you know, you just keep kind of legal, legalistically moving the goalposts from this, this one getting thing more that, and more insane. Yeah. That kind of was a thing like, but this one, Lee, you're right. The thing they're, they're building the fiction around is, Hey, we don't want too much equality. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want people who say a racist thing, or maybe in Mark Driscoll's case, dedicate their entire career to the belittling and bullying of everyone around them to like, not be able to make a bunch of money. So yeah, we're repurposing I mean, look, the purity logic to that.
1: Look, if you're going to say that, you know, women are equal to men, that sounds to me like you might have a demonic soul tie
0: that hey, We can't take the risk because that was the whole thing with the purity cultures. We can't take the risk. That's right. Of teen pregnancy, you know, STDs, whatever, um, real con an actual consequence, which is, uh, as, as we've covered for literal years on the show, not the best way to deal with that. Not, you know, fear, anger, lying, probably not the best way to get around that. Um, and Hey, 10 years on from doing this podcast, we have a generation of adult people who don't really talk to their parents that I think would bear that out. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to
1: say, like, look, here's, uh, we're old and white and religious, and this is what we're afraid of. That's one thing. Sure. But, and, and it's also one thing to take the tactic of legalism, which the tactic of legalism is, here's a behavior we don't want to do for actual good reasons. So what we'll do is we'll say, don't do anything – we're going to draw a circle tinier inside that. Only live here. That way you'll never actually go out towards the fence of the thing that could be dangerous or could be problematic.
0: Yeah. So that's, the, that's kind of Take the, a day off every the, six days, actual thing. Right. Don't turn the lights on and don't spit on the ground because right. that's like could be kind a kind of ploughing eh, a little out there but the legalist logic pulls it right so that's that's legalism and and it's it's
1: it's not good and it's bonkers you know but like you can see how that got there how how people got there like well if this thing is bad then let's just only live in this tiny little thing we'll never get anywhere close to the thing's bad you can see how people got there in their thinking But to take a behavior you don't want people to do that you don't approve of and you think is wrong and to tell them you shouldn't do that because you will get possessed by demons who will talk to each other and infect you like a virus, that is a different level of thing.
0: Yeah. And again, all in the service of we don't want there to be like no racism. (laughs) Who wants to live in that world? I mean, Can we have
1: like... Mick
0: racism, like just a like a just a little bit of racism, it's a little diet racism, that, yeah. <laughs> exactly in moderation. Yeah, that's that's bonkers. There is to to uh, make a comparison. I'm sure Mark Griscom would hate, which makes me happy. To compare it to the the Marx quote of history repeats itself first as tragedy, then as farce. Um, I'm not comfortable with the the marriage book written by an unmarried 19 year old with a guy with a sure. fedora on the cover of it. Not being right. the stupid version of something. <laughs> like in retrospect, you have made that the less stupid version of a thing. No. What let's not don't ever go
1: so far that you make that book less stupid.
0: Yeah, that's you're tearing at some kind of space fabric.
1: That's a good that's a good goal right there. I don't know if we're gonna do better than that right there. That's a really good goal. Let's make sure that that quote unquote book remains the dumbest thing that we do as a people.
0: Yeah. I think in a rare, a rare achievement for the emergency segment, we have ended on a piece of helpful, actionable advice. Just don't make a, (laughs) don't do anything in a way that people will look back at early two thousands evangelical culture and be like, well, at least that was something. (laughs) Wow. And on that, we will declare emergency off.
1: Intense. I have
0: a feeling that as long as TikTok and Mark Driscoll continue to exist, only, the emergency will only be off temporarily. That's true. But for now, we will move on to your fine questions. If you want to write into us, you can have us all the way to the end, and I'll give you some addresses where you can get in touch, or you can scroll down in your episode description in your pod player of choice and click the two one of the two links you find there. Our first question comes in anonymously and says, and this is, a pretty good uh, piggyback off the emergency have things yep. gotten weirder in the last few years. Like everything has been this crazy and we're just noticing it now or are things actually weirder? And I think, uh, we're big fans on the show of a good sanity check as yep. a phrase we use, uh, amongst ourselves as the three hosts of the show. And I think this is a good one between, you know, weird internet stuff, COVID like, You know, as people have gone through school and even especially when we're talking about in the emergency segment, just more people popping up with weird religious stuff in a Christian context and like politics. I think there is a a strong sense of like a a deterioration, a rapid unraveling of something and but balanced out with people have always been pretty weird. So do we just know more about it now? So. I guess maybe even more than the, what is this true or not? Because I don't know, you know, how do you quantify weird, but what do we do with this feeling of like, everything's getting, getting crazy. And what do we do in the face of that?
1: It's a really interesting question. And I, you know, I'd love to be able to, you know, this, this is one of those questions where every now and then a question comes into this podcast where you're like, man, I wish we could all kind of sit down for a cheeseburger and you could get a lot more context into like, what exactly is on your mind here? I mean, uh, we can take some swings and some guesses, and I think you hit on some things that are probably in the crosshairs there. But it would be really interesting to find out just kind of what what what, what all is going on to lead up to this. I remember when we were kind of firmly embedded in some of the tragedy of the COVID pandemic, and and thinking about you know, and people were asking like, you know, there were pockets of people who were saying like, is this the end of the world? Is this the worst thing the world has ever been through? Is this the most tragic you know? Um, disastrous thing the world's ever been through. And, you know, Matt and I are both history majors. And so you're like, well, there was a plague that killed one in three people at one point in Europe. um, And, and so you're like, so, I mean, it's like mathematically, no, but I, I you know, it's like, I you know, it's like the, the world has been through some crazy times before is I guess what I would say, you know, like at one point, all of Christendom, um, decided they were going to go take over all the holy sites in the Middle East and just murder everybody unless they decided to be Christians. You're like, well, I mean, Christians have been awful at other times in the, in the history of the world as well. And so, you know, it's like, obviously there was World War II, the Holocaust. I mean, the the, the world has been through some crazy stuff, ice ages and and extinctions and all kinds of things. But I imagine that what you're talking about is some of the things that we're experiencing, like with the fact that um, all over the world right now, there are like radical far right political movements that are gaining ground. People getting elected, enacting policies of of racism and exclusion and um, – Uh, injustice and hatred. And, and, and like some of these things are gaining in popularity, these far right populist movements. And it's not just in the United States. It's like all over the place and in civilized countries with, you know, with education system, the whole thing. And there's all kinds of stuff like that happen happening. There's more slavery than there's ever been in the history of the world. Like there are some unbelievable tragedies. There's unbelievably terrible weather events because the, the world is heating up so much. We did just come out of a global pandemic. It's like, yeah, the world is going crazy right now. One thing I would say is that, that the, the way the internet works has oddly allowed for certain groups of people, and I don't know if there's a better way to say this than that certain groups of people are able to find each other in a way they never have been in the history of the world. So Matt led this off by saying something to the effect of I'm going to misquote him but like there's always been weirdos. And that's definitely true. The world has always had weirdos. But the weirdos did not have chat rooms before and the weirdos did not have like YouTube channels full of bizarre content. Like the flat earthers have like all found each other because, you know, Flat earth content on YouTube and TikTok is happening. So they all find each other and, you know, moon landing deniers and all, you know, like like people with bizarre out there ideas and some of them extremely radical and harmful are able to find each other and connect in ways they never have been in in the history of the world. I've got like, you probably do too, but I've got some relatives that like when I was a little kid and we would get around them at. Holidays, they would open their mouths and say some of the most awful things ever. But, like, no one ever spent time with these people. And they didn't have any community or of their own or anything like that because they were bonkers. Like, they were totally banana pants. Like, the, nobody was going to give them the time of day because this stuff was cruel and ridiculous. Well, all of those relatives now have vast networks of people they communicate with at all times of the day on Facebook and other platforms. I'm serious. And I'm talking about actual people that would offend us when we were little kids at Thanksgiving now have tons of friends who think exactly like them. And not only have they been able to find each other, they wind each other up. And so there are things happening around the world where like, the fringe folks that are on some weird stuff have all found each other and are all finding each other and they're winding each other up and the world's heating up and that's dramatic weather events. And, you know, Miami's not going to exist in a few years. Sorry. Um, You know, it's like, this is, this is a weird time that we're living in. So all that being said, what does that mean for you? And what does that mean for me? Well, for me as a person who believes in Jesus, as a person who has a, is walking in a community of people who have faith in God, what it means for me is it's never, ever been more important to be a person who follows the teachings of Jesus, especially in the realm of being kind, being helpful, being a person of love, being a person of acceptance, being a person who's a servant, like listening to people, praying for people, serving, each, serving people, holding people up, carrying their burdens— that has never been more important than, than, than it is right now because the world is, it's a scary place. It's a difficult place. To be quite frank, it's a mean place. And so it's never been maybe more important to be a person who listens, who is patient, who is kind, who cares about acceptance and love and following the teachings and the heart of Jesus because it's wacky out there, man. And so someone who does actually live um, for the poor, for the downcast, for the outcast, um, that's going to be an important person to be in a world that's getting weirder and meaner out
0: there. I think that's exactly right and, and beautifully put because as Lee says there is is are things getting, to your question, are things getting weirder? Uh, I think things are as weird as they've ever been in my lifetime. That's probably, that I'm aware of. I mean, I live through the end the invasion of Iraq and nine eleven and stuff. So it was, it was pretty trippy a couple of years there. Um, but, but they told
1: us the wealth would trickle down. Matt. That's right.
0: Yeah. I was born when there were some, some interesting thoughts going around in the mid eighties, but you know, as, as far as my consciousness, yeah, you know, it's, it's very weird. I, I have a day job and I was talking to someone who's been in the same business for 30 years and, you know, as not shocking, all markets are pretty much down now and this guy's business is no so different. And he said, you know, I'm not saying it's worse than it's ever been because you know i I was doing this through i, I was working as a business related to home ownership during you know in two thousand and eight and obviously that was no picnic and these market downturns like but some of this stuff is just odder than it was, like the patterns are harder to catch, so you know in some ways it is weird and now that than it's ever been you know, as Lee points out, there are plenty of people who were like you know in their teens and twenties during the Spanish flu in World War one and then you know. Got to live through World War II. I imagine that didn't feel like a like a particular picnic if you lived anywhere in Europe. So things have always been a little strange. But you know, the, you talk about this general idea, and I think I think this is what you're pointing to. I could be wrong. Of just like everything seems a little less stable than it's been mm. at other points in your life. You know, um, the world essentially got put on pause for two years. If you were in school or you, you know, worked or you just lived in an area where, you know, your world was disrupted in ways it never was, it was it's very strange. You know, there's things as far as, you know, financial stuff and you know, lifestyle stuff that is, you know, people who are born, people who are at a certain age, like say they're, you know, early 20s or even in college now, it's just an entirely different deal than it was even, you know, when Lee and I were in college or in that age, not that long ago, as far as this like what's available to you and life milestones and where some of that stuff's supposed to go. So it's definitely an inflection point and a weird point, but I think as Lee points out to acknowledge that is very healthy, but the, to answer the, what do you do with that question? The answer is not, if you're talking about like kind of a Christian worldview of, well, therefore we, we toss out all we know and it's a free for all, or we have to be even more hardcore about it and stand against the, you know, the, the ever shifting wave waves of secularism and chaos and all that. That's, you don't have to be more hardcore. You don't have to rethink everything. You know, the, fa- the foundations, you know, to go to the, the parable, if the foundation is built on stone, then the weird, the weirder and the worse the storm gets, it's, it's fine. You're still on that foundation. Right. And I think that's a, a worthwhile thing to think about. And as Lee points out when, it, or when things feel a little too strange, the advanced things, a good, heuristic i think is to get back to the basics and loving people focusing on being kind on being accepting on being uh you know people are hungry feeding people who are hungry visiting people who are lonely those very very basic things that is a great home base to go back to when you feel that the that the foundations are getting a little shaky Mm. with that said we're gonna move on to our next question here uh it comes in as phrased very uh very abruptly but i appreciate it I, i read word for word feminism dash mm-hmm. there's a lot of sh- There's a lot shared about feminism at the moment. I wonder if views can go to the extreme around this topic. Where do you draw the line on the sliding scale of views? That's right. So Leah, there's been a lot of talk about a lot shared about feminism. I think that's true. And maybe not just because of the Barbie movie, but mm. mainly because of the Barbie movie. I think it's fair to say um but also uh i but i, I think there's some pop culture stuff around that and you know just as weird gender critical what's the weird the and whatnot um some th- old biggie uh soul ties is not the only thing that's been dug up from a previous generation i think lee and i both thought even when we were younger like i think the world in general thought we were done being angry about feminism except at all with the weirdest like revanchist conservative areas like, you know, women having credit cards and stuff. Like we've seemed like pretty settled stuff, but, um, it's, it's, it's a buzzword that's come back and only by the, the most insufferable of people, uh, being against it. Um, but Lee, I, I wonder if part of this is if you were born in the last 30 or 40 years, there was a time in a lot of like more, not particularly hard right circles. If you didn't grow up in a very conservative tradition where it did kind of seem like feminism was mostly a settled idea. Like it wasn't too controversial. And then it's had this weird um, re resurgence of something that people are being weird about. Or if you just came into um, more evangelical circles, you may not know what to make of that. So um, where do we, where do we start to look at it and look at how people talk about it as well? But maybe, we can start off with getting a good foundation and uh, what actually the interplay between Christianity and feminism actually is and should be.
1: Well, I'll start off by saying, you know, I am a dude, and so I mean, I'm probably I I am not an expert on feminism. And it come will on, really... Lee, two
0: middle aged white guys talking about feminism. This is what podcasting's <laughs> all about, baby.
1: <laughs> you know, so I mean, it's one of those things where. This is a topic where I will, I will speak to the question. It's a topic where I would love to do a lot more listening than talking. And I would like to do a lot more listening to the people who have experienced the way it feels to be a woman in various cultures and societies right now. Obviously, I don't know that. Um, I, whatever I do know, I, I do know by asking questions, reading books and articles, and listening. And so, uh, let me just start by saying that I, I'm a person that needs to do more listening than talking on this. If I do speak to it, the thing that I would say is the way that the world has gone for the for the history of the world. Um, I think it would be very difficult for feminism to go too far. <laughs> <laughs> um, we need to go farther. Um, we need to constantly make sure that that work is being done so that women have uh, are have equality and agency and dignity and all of like, especially for like, there are so many uh so many places in our culture, in our life where um, there are just subsets of, of women who are, who remain completely and totally marginalized and overlooked um, who have, um, you know, who are more susceptible to certain types of, Poverty and disease and uh, because of because of the, the way that they're treated by our society. And so and, and various other societies, obviously, the American society is not the only audience uh, of this of this show. Um, I will say when when Matt says, you know, how do we talk about the way uh, fen- feminism is talked about? When we think about the evangelical Christian culture, um, the backlash to feminism was the uh, was the John Eldridge wild at heart movement. So you're talking what, 18 years ago at this point, something like that.
0: Yeah, probably longer. I first, when I first got saved in 2001 and that book was already out there being awful.
1: Mm. Okay. So we're talking,
0: talking crap about Mr. Rogers. I haven't forgot Eldridge. Yes. Better hope I'm never in Colorado Eldridge. I will not stand for that.
1: (laughs) I love that. One of the Matt is a very gentle man dear listener. I love that one of the axes that he has to grind is against John Eldridge because of his defense of one Fred Rogers.
0: I mean, yeah, I like to think of myself as a man of peace, but if I ever see John Eldridge, it's on site. (laughs) What I want to
1: see is you, uh, lock eyes with John Eldridge randomly one time and you immediately go into like a, a wrestler promo.
0: Yep. I mean,
1: I, I would love that.
0: Just open hand smacking John Elders across the face. Like, You want to be a William Wallace, brother. Let's go. Come on. I thought I thought <laughs> uh, you were wild at heart. Don't look very wild, John. Hey, somebody put some blue paint on my
1: face so I can paint this man's face. That's right. Blue paint on I my hand. So I can paint this you
0: got some blue face paint. Let's see what's <laughs> up, John.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, because this book did come out a long time ago. Um, there was a dude that wrote a book called wild at heart. And he basically said the problem with the American church has been the emasculation of, of the, of the males and that, you know, that men are told to, you know, button up their shirt, tuck it in and come sit nicely at church with their Bible and their coffee in hand. When men were supposed to, you know, live out in the wilderness and bow hunt and, you know, hike mountains and, you know, make fires and basically, you know, fight the English or whatever.
0: Basically, live, it, live it in live in an REI as John Eldridge's personal, personal perfect vision of a male Christianity.
1: That's exactly right. And so, it was a very. It was just again, we we've talked about Mark Driscoll, but it was all about masculinity. It was all about men. You know, being the 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 rugged outdoorsy uh, men that God made them to be. You know, rock climbers and pugilists and they literally by the way took a movie that was supposed to be a tongue in cheek like essay about toxic masculinity in fight club and then they like made that their anthem yeah that's like,
0: right weird people weird men were misunderstanding fight club long before twitter believe it or not that's right
1: and so um th- I bring all that back just to talk about, you know, just to kind of respond to what Matt was saying about, you know, how are, how are people talking about fem- feminism? Well, in the church, the response was, we're going to shut it down by all the men being, you know, burly and and outdoorsy and, and grunty and, and uh, you know, all, all of that stuff. We're going to recapture our manly ways. You know, young boys need to be taught to wrestle and fight, and they shouldn't be— You know, no boundaries should be drawn around stuff like that, even though uh, violence is not good in that book that you say you love so much. The Bible, like
0: violence is not historically uh, giving young men no boundaries around violence, not gone super well. It doesn't
1: go well. It doesn't go well. But this has been the response is we're just going to double down on this on what we say masculinity is, which, by the way. We should just say, just kind of as a part of this conversation discussion, like when you read, um, when you read the words of Jesus, or you read the teachings of the Apostle Paul, t- people might say these are the two most prominent characters in the New Testament. Um, what you find is you find a king who declared his kingship by um, not riding in in a victory parade on a on a you know a white stallion surrounded by trumpets and and a conquering army, but riding in on the, the gentle foal of a donkey with tears running down his face, calling himself a mother hen whose chicks did not want to rest under the shadow of her wings. Um, that, that's the leader of the religion, first of all. And then two, you have in the Apostle Paul, probably the, most, the next most prominent character, saying that I cared about you the way a nursing mother would. He, in fact, uses more he uses more uh female
0: it gets a little more descriptive than that in the original yeah, he, language.
1: Yes. He uses more female uh like metaphors and descriptions about his own ministry um and his own care for people in his ministry than he does like traditional like male uh metaphors and stuff like that. The 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 gender fluidity of the descriptions of Paul's ministry are really pretty fascinating. So we need to deal with some of that stuff. Now, again, this conversation was really about feminism. I will say, when it comes to Christianity, when you if you were to read the New Testament with no experience of evangelical Christianity, what you would find is, not only for its day, but for any day, that Jesus was a pioneer for the equality, dignity, and... Um, and agency of women. um, He respected and hung out with, he was funded, his ministry was funded by women, he was proclaimed by women, he sent out his first preacher as a woman, he declared himself the Messiah for the first time to women. Jesus is absolutely progressive, and if you didn't have any experience of the church and you just had the, the the words and the teachings of Jesus from the Gospels, you would realize that Christians, people that follow Jesus Christ, should be the people leading the charge on feminism and the equality, agency, dignity of women.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. I think that's fantastically put, and I think uh, Lee points to something kind of imp- very important in all that of like, because there, because we live in an inherently patriarchal society, um, there is, you can't really have a discussion of feminism without it's not necessarily centered, but involving men and masculinity because, um, you're talking, there's a comparison there, uh, that is, kind of definitional you know I'm not, I'm not a scholar of the feminist movement in america or anywhere in the world by any any means but uh, i think a broad way to think of it is women trying to get the rights and uh positions and opportunities that men that have always been open to white it should be said men yeah um uh there's a, a feminist scholar named uh let me see if i can find i had to pull that for a second a woman named Mary Shear, who has a famous quote that uh, feminism is the radical notion that women are people. <laughs> yeah. And I, I always keep that in mind when I hear people raging against feminism, because Lee, Lee makes a good point. There's the, I think the, it is, you have to be pretty hardcore, like right wing old school to come out and just say like feminism is bad. Um, so there's some of them, but it's not the, the more common, uh, kind of mealy mouth middle ground of that is, well, of course women should, you know, have rights and be respected and all that. But hasn't feminism just gone a little too far? And uh there's there's an old Chris Rock bit before he got punched in the face on national television. <laughs> so older bit where where he, I think it was it was just after Obama had been elected. And he's talking about the concept of equality. And he said, well, it's not that one black man being president can't make racial equality because before that he had 43 white guys in a row. Right. So you got to get to 43 in, in a, a row.
1: Way. Yeah.
0: It's like, if you get to 42 and a white guy gets in, you got to reset the clock. <laughs> and very similarly, like they've done studies of men in an environment of, and they basically asked them like, we're going to keep adding people to this room and changing the mix of men and women in this room. Tell us when you think this room is 50% women. Right. And it's normally when it's about 30% women. Wow. The idea of just, it was very recently that there are more women. I think it's fortune 500 CEOs. There are just in the last like couple of months. There are now more women who hold that position than men named Steve. Ah. So the idea That feminism has run amok and overcorrected is a little out there um, because women are 51% of the population, at least in the United States. So you would think that just rank equality would mean that 51% of CEOs and presidents of companies and mayors of cities and members of Congress and Supreme Court justices and such things would be women would be like Well, that's, we just got back. We just got to zero on that. So I I think I'm saying that to say, I think that's where a lot of this pushback comes from, from uh, older dudes is the idea that this is a zero sum game. Aren't women asking for a little too much because anything that women have is something that uh, a very privileged man has to give up. So, and if you're talking about stage time or influence in church, I think some of them are definitely thinking that mm-hmm. I think there's inherent, Hey, if we let women start preaching, no one's going to want to listen to what I have to say. And you're probably correct on that, sir. That's right. Um, so uh, again, you can have your own feelings about feminism, whatever. I think we're pretty clear on what we think about it, but there's this idea that like, Oh no, no, I'm, I'm pro women. I'm pro quality. I'm pro fairness, mm-hmm. but feminism just, Oh, the t- isn't the tone a little, This and isn't their hair a weird color? And isn't it that? That's not a that's not a real thing. That's someone saying, "Haven't you? Can't you just be nicer about pointing out that there are systems in the world that mean you get less than you are uh, truly uh, entitled to in an equal society?" And that's that just can't be. And some of this
1: is goes back to a point you were making during the the Driscoll TikTok, which is. The fact that he, by his own editing adorableness, uh, bleeped out the word wokeism.
0: Oh, that's so stupid.
1: And, you know, it's where, you know, you weaponize a word in order to make people feel a thing or make people afraid or make people upset. We're going to take a piece of jargon and we're going to make that the boogeyman, Um, the word feminism. And as you've demonstrated all we're saying is, women deserve healthcare, equal pay, you know, like the representation in in you know in in the courts, in the in the legislature, in in companies, in in the business offices, and, and Christians like have gotten so stupidly in the way of some of these things by like, well, you know, uh, pastor doesn't meet with so and so with women one on one, even though. There's women on his, on his church staff, you know, because he doesn't want to accidentally have sex with her or something like that. Well, it's like, well, then, then her ideas do not make it into his, in, into his brain, you know? Yeah. And it, that, is, that is an exclusion of her leadership potential. And so, but, but again, this is like, we have now weaponized the word feminism as a thing to be afraid of.
0: Yeah, and I think also for for younger folks and even folks uh you know my age which is not younger folks. Um there's this idea that well it it's been pretty good for a while. Like why are people still angry about this? Uh it's only been a little over 100 years that women in America have had the right to vote uh early in some right. cases. But that's like voting does not equality make. Um I'm I looked it up because I this I literally thought I must have had this wrong and making it up. Um the Equal Credit Opportunity Act that meant that you could not deny someone a credit card based on their gender was passed in 1974. What? Wow. There was color television before women could get credit cards on their own and did not have to have it through a man. Wow. So when you talk about like, and you may say, well, you know, maybe that sounds weird. And the SS retrograde, but think about, and it's very similar with bank accounts, think about if you wanted to go to school, if you wanted to buy a car to get to your right. job, if you were in an unhealthy, possibly abusive relationship and needed to pay for a week at a hotel before you figured out what was going on. All these systems and these ideas that feminism talks about a lot, they, they impact real people. These are not theoretical things. That's right. So to take it on, to say that the negatives are on this big theoretical basis and complementarianism and all that jazz that, that, uh, that does not fly with me. I think I speak for the podcast and again, you can come to your own conclusions, but I really push back on this idea of like, well, but it's just a little out of whack as, as Lee we points did out, all of that. Yeah. It's, we'd have to go pretty far in the other direction to get to, uh, the, the balance is skewed the other way now. And maybe we should. Yes. And, uh, especially based on some of the preaching. Yes. And if someone's point is, but it's not fair because other people got to be pastors when women weren't allowed to criticize them and now uh, criticize them. And now I have to put up with this. So can't we not do that? That's just not really an argument that holds water. Yeah. And with that, we move on to our final question here comes in and says, I was reading the parable of the sower in Mark four recently. seems kind of unfair that whether or not the seed grows is beyond anyone's control. The soil is either rocky or shallow, or it's not. Am I missing the point of this story? I think it's a fantastic uh, question, Lee. And I I think, and I love this type of question because this is one of those parables that I think from Sunday school on, there is a very accepted interpretation of this. And there's, you know, there's a pretty standard Bible study lesson of what this means. And here it is. So I really appreciate this person taking it kind of on the face of, of the word and looking at some things that pop off as odd. So where would we start with the idea of this parable Mark four?
1: Well, first of all, I, I would love to, to, um, just kind of put this out there in general that I think that if anybody tells you 100%, this is exactly what this parable of Jesus means. Um, and there's no other way to see it. I I think we better push pause there. Um, that's, that's, that's not a a great way to, to handle something like a parable. Um, several years ago, Matt and I, um, we talked about the parables of Jesus on another podcast together. And one of the really fun parts of that, of those conversations for me was just like, well, here's what I'm seeing, but Matt, what are you seeing? And just the kind of discovery and of like, there's a lot of different ways to interpret what Jesus is talking about here, he, and some of them he didn't explain. He just would tell a story, and that's, that's really kind of exciting. It's really kind of a cool thing. It's kind of like the, I have never read, and I don't know if anybody has ever read a good Bible commentary on the Psalms, because yeah. if you start diagramming and breaking down songs, you kill them. That's not the way that works. The, the real question when you read the Psalms is, what is it saying to you? how does it make you feel and i think that's a and there the parables are as close as we get to that in the new testament is i think it's hard to have a a, a this is this is the binary black and white ex- explanation for what this parable means so I, I think you raise an interesting question it's like well i mean you know like does does a person have any you know, agency over what happens to them. It looks like it's just, doesn't look like it's fair. Some people, like some people just don't, they're not in a good position to receive the message of Jesus. And what I can tell you is in in 20 years of of being in ministry full-time, um, man, some people just aren't in a good place right now to receive the message of Jesus. They're just it's just not the right time. They're not. They're not in a good headspace, or they're not in a good life situation, and um, and they're just they they don't have any time for it. They don't. Ha- they don't want it. They and you can't you can't talk that person into that. Um, and then other people are just ready. Other people are, are hungry. Other people are like, tell me more. And I've had this experience. I'm sure Matt has as well. Where like you you get involved in the life of somebody who is just not in a good place to hear it for whatever reason. And then a year or two or three or four years later, you find that same person and some things in their life have changed. And some of the downs have become ups and some of the ups have become downs. And they, they want to hear about Jesus again. And it's, it's like, man, the condition of this soil has changed. Um, I, I kind of like, um, and, and I'm not saying you have to like it, but I like the metaphor here that Jesus is using just because, I mean, with so many of his other parables, it's just such a—it's such an easy thing to wrap my head around. It's like, yeah, if if you have dirt that's been tilled up and is soft and doesn't have any rocks in it versus dirt that is on a path that's hard because people have walked on it, and you drop seed— and some of it falls on both of those places it's obvious where the seed's going to grow and where it's not going to grow i can see it in my mind the seed just laying on the path because it won't go down in the soil matt and i both come from tennessee and east tennessee in particular the soil underneath a couple of inches of topsoil is just like thick red clay and in order to make anything grow you got to do a lot of work you got to do a lot of preparatory digging and tilling and and just Getting soil ready for any kind of seed that you want to grow. You want to grow soybeans, you want to grow corn, you're going to grow anything. You got to get that ground ready for it. It's going to take a lot of work. For me as a person in ministry, what this parable says to me is, am I ready to be the kind of farmer who wants to put the work in in the lives of the people the Lord is leading me to so that I can help them? By serving them, by listening to them, by taking care of them and meeting their needs, to get them to a place where maybe a hard heart becomes a little bit softer, maybe a heart that's been hurt, that's been walked on, that's been mistreated, learns how to trust again because someone took the time to listen and took the time to care. Um, I'm not in control of that process, but as a person in in ministry, maybe I can be the farmer who does work on. Uh, the preparation of soil just to condition it to be able to receive the good news i don't know what the magic formula is some people are ready for it some people super are not i'm not even telling you that's the only explanation or or version of what this parable can mean i could i could pass this thing over and that might give, give you a completely different interpretation and by the way i'm not afraid of that i think that's immensely cool and i think that's an immensely cool factor Of the teachings of Jesus. I think that sometimes we in the West forget that we have been grafted into an Eastern religion. We've been grafted into a mystical religion. Eastern thinking and Eastern philosophy is completely different than the way people think in the West, the way that we are, the way that we organize our lives, the way that we schedule everything, the way that we graph everything out and put it all on tables, Excel spreadsheets. Like, that's just not the way Eastern philosophy works, and so I think we do have to have some wiggle room and in interpretation.
0: I think that's really fantastic stuff, and yeah, I would actually as much as I'd love to come up with an alternate and equal equally good interpretation. I do tend to agree with Lee on what I get out of this now, some of that is because Lee and I have in some ways similar backgrounds, people have done a lot of outreach ministry, so that is gonna color our sense of this because you know even when Jesus uh explains it to the disciples which is some of my favorite parts of the Bible is where he tells a, a beautifully crafted, you know, divinely inspired rich story. And one of these guys just goes, okay, but what does it mean? (laughs) Yeah. And he basically just kind of goes on and re explains a little more, you know, things that could happen. People pop up, but then with trouble, persecution to fall away. Some people, it seems like it's going to go but then there's thorns. And then some people, others like seed down on good soil, hear the word, accept it and produce a crop. Some 30, 60, some a hundred times what was sown. So it's people who are putting themselves in position of the sower in this uh, parable. Um, as Lee, I think Lee was very important to touch on no magic words. Here's the thing. As far as just what's in the story, there is no indication before this dude starts throwing seed. What was going to happen with any of these situations? Yeah. And you can do all the the demographic research and the, the kind of feeling out conversations. And I know Lee and I have. I'm certain both have this conversation quickly with young people. Like the person who seems like they're just about to turn the corner and get there. It t- either doesn't happen. It takes years. The person who seems like they're the most just out of their mind hears something and goes, "No, yeah, it seems about right," and just off to the races. Um, I, one of the things I think I take from this sense in that parable is like, there's no pre-screening in the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. There's no assigning a score on how likely someone is to, to turn to, to the Lord. There is, uh, you know, you gotta, you as someone who, if you, you know, feel called to that, you're supposed to go out and spread the seed and let the seed do what it does. And there's no, you don't. I think there are some things and Lord knows the church has really gotten into this because it's, it's the way a lot of business runs nowadays of, of analytics and uh, audience analysis and likelihood and targeting and all this stuff. And that is to Lee's point about mystery. That's just not the way any of this works Mm. and it can't be the way it works. It's not the way it should work. And it also is going to introduce there's, you know, I, I don't, obviously he did not hear this and it wasn't written down at the time. So I don't think, in any intentional way Paul is referencing this when he talks about you know is maybe Paul planted and Apollos watered or the other way around but there's God who makes things grow but I think it's a it's an analogy taken from the same agrarian society so I think it was meant to connect with the with the the same audience of there's doing what you do and then there's the the gap in which these things happen there yeah. is you put the stuff is just from a farmer. You put the stuff where you think you're supposed to put it. You, you water it and you do the best you can. Then you go to bed and hope it grows. <laughs> <laughs> to kind of take it back to the, where we started with like the nineties stuff and the parent stuff. One of the things we talked about a lot of the show, I think it's actually a good example of when this parable, hopefully could give a lot of peace. Is there were a lot of people in the eighties and nineties who made a lot of money with the idea that if you do these steps yeah. as a parent, your child will love Jesus and want to go to church with you and live a kind of life you approve of. And guess what? We have a massive deconstruction movement some 20 years later.
1: Yeah. And expose documentaries yeah. left and right.
0: That just didn't happen. Cause that's not the way it works. Yeah. You go to his sleep and you hope what happens. And here's something that doesn't help. If you plant some seed and you don't see it growing, Uh, Getting up and pouring more water on it and poking at it and digging it up and trying to put it somewhere else on a daily basis is not going to help. Screaming grow. (laughs) That's right. Just throwing the right books at it is not really going to help. Do you know what you're making me look like? Grow. (laughs) (laughs) Look at what all the other farmers are saying. (laughs) The Johnson soybean grew. Look at um, they're yeah. taking pictures and they're they they put it in a tan suit and it's so happy.
1: I'm being traumatized by Matt's analogy.
0: Yeah, that one cut a little close to the home. Assuming your home is in the American South, but <laughs> uh, so as, as Lee points out, there's there are <laughs> there are wrong interpretations of these stories. If you're trying to go with something, but if you read something in one of these stories and it connects with you in a way, that's what these stories are supposed to do. So that's yeah. fantastic. And if there's something in these stories that makes you. Uh, uncomfortable or ask another question or want to do deeper. I think that's what the storage is supposed to do too. And that's great. Find a commentary, right into us. Can't always guarantee. We can uh, not guarantee a definitive answer, but um, as Lee has pointed out many times over the years on the show, there are points in the Bible where Jesus says exactly what he means in yeah. stark, kind of unmisinterpretable terms. Yeah. So anything that's not that is not that way for a reason. So there's, there's room to dig and explore and find new stuff. And that's, So one of the most exciting things about the Bible to me, and I I think that's a great thing. All right. If you have a question for us, podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com, slash ask. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, being that Jed could not join us in person, we will have him join us in song, tell the song uh, called Greater Than He by Jed. Thanks for listening. We love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it.
2: When I make a bad choice, i